Hope you're ready for some Friday fire because we got one. We got two, maybe. All right, Monty Williams, the head coach of the Phoenix Suns, is two games from winning his first NBA title. I'm going to tell you Christian believers out there why you should be watching these NBA finals because of Monty. Delano Squire is a contributor for Fearless on the Blaze. He's going to come by and tell us why Joe Biden, President Joe Biden, is the reason why Rachel Nichols and Maria Taylor are at each other's throats at ESPN. Also, Uncle Jimmy's going to tell us about Wendy Williams and the hot water she's in. All that and more next! Welcome to the show. Happy Friday. I'm Jason Whitlock. You should be watching these NBA finals. Phoenix Suns head coach Monty Williams is a disciple of Jesus Christ. Phoenix's most important player, point guard Chris Paul, is a believer as well. The NBA has let us all down. I get it. Their embrace of Black Lives Matter and the, the Marxist-fueled Black Lives Matter movement in the aftermath of George Floyd's death soured my passion for professional basketball, too. I skipped last year's playoffs and never watched a full regular season game this season. I watched the first round of this year's playoffs solely because I wanted to see LeBron James, China's favorite basketball player, I wanted to see him lose. Once that happened, I started watching all the games. These playoffs have been joyful and super exciting. For the most part, the NBA TV commercials don't annoy me. But the real reason to watch is that God placed a messenger inside the NBA's secular madness. Monty Williams might be the most important man in sports. The 49-year-old former Notre Dame and NBA player is the leader and example America needs right now. Last night, Monty's squad took a commanding 2-0 lead in its best-of-seven series against the Milwaukee Bucks. The Suns are just two victories away from giving Phoenix its first NBA title and expanding Williams' platform to expound on the power of Jesus' gospel. Do you know the Monty Williams story? It belongs in a new Bible. Five years ago, a 52-year-old white woman high on meth drove her car headfirst into the car driven by Williams' wife, Ingrid. Three of Williams' children were also in the car. The white woman died at the scene of the accident. Ingrid Williams died a day later. Williams' children survived. A week later, Monty Williams stood at his wife's funeral and delivered the most amazing seven-minute eulogy and testimony I've ever seen or heard. He started by referencing scripture, Psalms, 113 chapter, verse 1. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Psalms, 73rd chapter, verse 1. God is good. John, 4th chapter, verse 16. God is love. He then shared the story of the doctor who told him as an 18-year-old freshman at Notre Dame that if he continued to play basketball, he would die because of a heart condition. His wife, then his girlfriend Ingrid, told him, Jesus can heal your heart. Williams played in the NBA for a decade. He closed his wife's funeral, asking his family and friends to pray 
for the family of the driver who killed his wife. You have to hear this for yourself. Now, I'm gonna close with this, and I think it's the most important thing that we need to understand. Everybody's praying for me and my family, which is right. But let us not forget that there were two people in this situation. And that family needs prayer as well. And we have no ill will towards that family. In my house, we have a sign that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We cannot serve the Lord if we don't have a heart of forgiveness. That family didn't wake up wanting to hurt my wife. Life is hard. It is very hard. And that was tough. But we hold no ill will towards the Donaldson family. And we, as a group, brothers united in unity, should be praying for that family because they grieve as well. So let's not lose sight of what's important. God will work this out. My wife is in heaven. God loves us. God is love. And when we walk away from this place today, let's celebrate because my wife is where we all need to be. And I'm envious of that. Telling you, you should be watching these NBA finals. You should be telling your children the story of Monty Williams. There are still great lessons we can learn from sports. There are still role models in the world of sports. Still can, sports can still have the power to unify us. Sports can still show us the way. When the Suns won the Western Conference Finals two weeks ago, Williams explained to an ESPN interview the foundation of his success as a coach. Listen to this. Well, I expressed um, from the time I got the job in Phoenix and, and every new player that comes to our program, um, the essence of my coaching is to serve. Um, as a believer in Christ, that, that's what I'm here for. And I tell them all the time, if I get on you, I'm not calling you out, I'm calling you up. It's not just Monty Williams. The same night, Phoenix star Chris Paul shared with ESPN that he's written the title of a gospel song on his shoe for the past year. It's a song by the group Mary Mary. It's called Can't Give Up Now. This Phoenix team is special. It's not a coincidence that they're playing the Bucks in the NBA Finals. Milwaukee is the team that walked out of a game last year and shut down the bubble in protest of the shooting of Jacob Blake in Kenosha, Wisconsin. The players on the Bucks are not bad guys. They're young, emotional, and obsessed with social media. They're no different from most young people. They're not based in a higher understanding of the world. They're not based in Jesus. They don't have someone like Monty Williams showing them the light and the way. I'm not disparaging Milwaukee's coach, but this Monty Williams, he's special. Maybe the Bucks will climb out of this 0-2 hole and win the NBA title. Who knows? I can't predict the future. But I am going to enjoy these games. I'm going to pray that Williams and Chris Paul win it all and hope that their message is shared and understood. I'm telling you, you should join me. All right, Jim. That's a different kind of hot fire I just started. But Monty Williams and, and the Suns are inspiring me. And, and I love what Monty represents, what Chris Paul represents. And it, it's 
this playoff deal has helped me get over this playoff season has helped me get over some of my bitterness towards the NBA. This whole, this whole, first of all, I haven't watched the NBA game all season myself, but I will say this talking about this whole, listening to you talk about this Monty Williams thing. I, 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 I'm pulling for the Suns, And now I got a reason to root for the sun, to root for the Suns. Um, it's a great story. You know, Jason, you, uh, you, you were, we were on a, heard you talking on the Megyn Kelly show yesterday, and you were talking about your nephew. And you oh, were, no, my cousin. Your cousin, I'm sorry. Yeah, your, cousin. your cousin. I'm and sorry. Tom Butler, my cousin. Your cousin. He's like a nephew to me, though. His mama's very close. Go ahead. Okay. Um, and you were talking about how he was killed at the hands of a police officer. Yep. Um, this past Father's Day, 11 years ago, my father was killed. My father was killed in a quadruple homicide. He was killed with two women and a three-year-old child. Okay. And all I will say is that he was killed in his home in Kansas City. And that man who killed those four people wasn't white. Okay. And also remember this. I was working in law enforcement at the time. Okay, just just think about that. I was working in law enforcement, so I knew quite well what happened. I had four, far more, had more knowledge about that than what I needed to have. So I'm just telling you, I understand. You said that. You you said in your you you compared him to Jesus. No, I did not. Okay. Him to well, Jesus. well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You didn't compare him to Jesus. I'm sorry. No. no, I apologize. Listen, listen his story, his story belongs in a new Bible. In, in a new Bible. Yeah. But here, here's, here's my point. I, I, I'm going back to the real Bible. And I was going, here's what I'm just saying. His story reminds me of Job. See, the story of Job talks about the fact that it's just about faith, patience, belief, beliefs, trials, tribulations. You know what that's called? That's called life. That's called life. And see, I like the way that that brother handled that situation because that was a very, very emotional situation. Okay? And he handled that situation accordingly. And what he did was he reached to a higher power. He reached to a power greater than him. He didn't reach to, he didn't reach to, for the power to get higher. He sought the power of a higher power. See, that's the difference in how some people handle stress. That's the difference in how some people handle trials and tribulations of life, i.e. Cherry Richardson. Shikari Richardson. Hey, whatever, man. <laughs> Look, man. I get your point in terms of he's based in something. He's grounded in something. He's not grounded in drugs. He's not grounded in alcohol. He's not... Oh, whatever over-the-counter deal or whatever prescribed drug that some doctor can give me, he's based in his faith. And so in a moment of adversity, he turns to his faith. And and look, this man has lost, because if you listen to this whole seven-minute eulogy, the man loved his wife, loved being around his wife and his kids. He's at the most crushing moment that probably any man or woman could experience. His wife has been taken from him tra tragically in an instant. And look at the strength and calm and leadership that he showed in that moment for his five kids, 
for her grieving family, on her side of the family, for all of his friends. And, and, and so I think we, and, and the point you're making about Shakari Richards, and everybody's like, the, the Washington Post writer wrote the deal saying, well, what would a young person do? In this, but turn, it's what anybody would have done, turned to marijuana and got high and blah. And, and basically what money represents is like, no, no, you can turn to something far better than drugs and alcohol. Far better than anger. Because he had every right to be angry. angry. Someone high on meth killed his wife. He didn't turn to anger and over emotion, he turned to God, and then God led him in a direction that gives his kids the best chance of surviving this and not being damaged by this. If he gets lost in anger and emotion, his kids then get lost in anger and emotion. They swallow that energy and start carrying it with them, and it can engulf them and take, and, and. Create generational problems. Generational. And so I, I just, I love what Monty represents. I, I, I think it's such an important and incredible message that I hope that the mainstream media picks up on his story and, and promotes his story and, and, and lets everybody understand fully his story. We're in such a woke, secular time that, and again, I, I don't, Monty Williams is like everybody else. He's not perfect. And, and it's like someone showed me uh, before the show, uh, look what Monty Williams said about George Floyd at that time and blah, blah. And, and I don't particularly agree with what Monty said at that time, but I don't also think the media went and asked and demanded a statement what else was he going to say during that time if he was going to coach basketball? And so what I'm saying, the media gets the answers it seeks. And so if we're seeking enlightenment and understanding of how he's survived from this tragedy and, and this is his second head coaching opportunity and he's leading a, a team that no one, I don't think, started this season thinking they were going to win the NBA title. If somebody went and had that discussion with him, how did this happen? What energy are you feeding into your kid, into your players? And started eliciting those types of responses from him rather than, hey, let me go ask him about somebody that got killed in another city that he's never met and he doesn't know anything about. Again, you can lead people to their area of expertise and things they know about, or you can lead people to some agenda that you want to serve and some controversy that you want to promote. Monty Williams knows a lot about faith and the power of faith and the power of Jesus to heal and to lead people and to be a light for people. I, I would love, and I hope we'll reach out to him and maybe we'll get him on this show. Mm -hmm. I would love to get into a full-blown discussion about his faith and how it's worked in his life. The whole story about at 18 at Notre Dame and, uh, and, and, and the doctor said, man, you got a heart condition, you can't play basketball. And he and his wife, girlfriend at the time, go to praying. She goes, Jesus can do this. And this guy goes on to have a great Notre Dame career, a 10-year MBA career. I think there's a lot to learn and to be mined 
from the mind of 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 Monty Williams. And I hope that, you know, the media does that. Uh, I agree. Like I said, man, I told you, I don't I haven't watched any NBA. I don't have cable. Um, the only way I even you don't have cable. No. no. What are you? What are you? You. you what are you doing? You got Hulu? Not, I, I, what am I? You really? You honestly want to know what I'm doing? What? How the hell am I going to sit up here and talk about all these NBA players and talk about I don't support them? If I don't support them, I ain't going to watch them. That's a different question, though. No, that's what I'm telling you. That's why. How come you don't have cable? Well, I don't. Because you ain't paid me enough money to have cable. <laughs> that was a setup question. God damn it! I set you up. I know only way, and honestly, it's the only way I even knew that the playoffs was on. Yeah. I had one of my female friends, uh, w- one of my big bone girls. Um, one, one of the blue M&Ms? Okay, okay. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to put her business. Anyway, um, she just happened to call me. She was, uh, she was overseas. She, she was over in China. She was there on business. Um, one, of you, one of the blue M&Ms is in China. She, I, she was over there on business. Uh, th- that's, where you, th- that's, that's where I send them over. That's where you get the weave. They got the best weave. The number nine Indian hair. That, that's the best. And they get it bulk. They buy it bulk. It's a beautiful thing, man. <laughs> anyway, I, that's that, I didn't even know what they was playing. She called me. She said, who is winning the game? Is it the Suns or is it the Black Bucks? And I'm like... <laughs> the Black Bucks? I... Jeez, that's, that's a whole other story, man. Anyway, man, I had to, I, I didn't know because I'm like, well, look at then because I, I didn't know that China's not even showing the NBA finals over there. They said they are refusing to show the NBA finals in China until LeBron James fulfills his obligation of overthrowing the U.S. government. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I mean, I, I like Chris Paul. So I'm like, you know, let me, I didn't even know that the Suns was there. And I looked him up. He a good dude to see what he was doing. And he, I see that he's doing good. And I realized Chris Paul kind of remind me of you, man. For real, man. He, he, he's a good dude. He's, he's been, he's done been on about what? Half a dozen different teams. Every time. <laughs> he can't, can't seem to find him a good home. <laughs> I mean, every time I turn around, your name that your name's mentioned in a trade conversation, a trade talk. That's not me. I, okay, I'm just trying to. I tell might you, demand man. a trade, but hey, man, you you always praying for. Hey, man, listen, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Hey, when the hell are we gonna kick this dude? When when, they, when you gonna go back to out kick the coverage? <laughs> I'm for not real. Back. You I'm sitting not. up here. You sitting up here creating all this hot water for what's her name? M- 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 Maria, Maria Taylor, Taylor? Yeah. what you trying to do? Get her fired so, so you can clear some cap, cap space so you can go back to ESPN for your third term? <laughs> yeah. What you doing? That's not what I'm doing. That's not what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm not going back to ESPN for a third Look term. here, man. I'm just man. telling you. You sure? Well, if, they, if they offer you some Maria Taylor money, if they, if they offer you some, 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 they offer you that money, you ain't going? No. You a man, sh- you crazy as hell. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> now, you might go. Ah, sh- <laughs> you well, might. I go for a forty ounce in a, <laughs> in a fish sandwich. <laughs> I got more integrity than that. All right, don't go anywhere. We <laughs> hit that YouTube page. You go for YouTube.com a slash fearless with Jason Whitlock. Hit that subscribe and notifications button. Do all that, and then. Come back because, oh, my God. At least I have cable. Delano Squires, you know, you guys have been reading this stuff. He's got another great column out today. 
think he blames Joe Biden for Maria Taylor and Rachel Nichols. Don't go anywhere. All that and more. Welcome back to the show. Jason Whitlock. All right, time to roll out to Washington, D.C. and be joined by fearless and blaze contributor Delano Squires. Delano, welcome back to the show. Uh, I want to start talking about my conversation that I started today with Uncle Jimmy in the column I wrote about Monty Williams, the head basketball coach of the Phoenix Suns. And there's been a lot of us, I think, in the that lean more conservative or lean more Christian. We've had a problem with the NBA because of its embrace of Black Lives Matters and all the other wokeism. And I'm wondering, I just made the argument that, hey, I think we should perhaps forgive the NBA and re-embrace the NBA because of the Monty Williams story. I think it's uplifting. What's your take on that? Hey, Jason. Hey, Uncle Jimmy. Thank you for having me again. Um, I think forgiveness is great if the NBA, to borrow a biblical term, is willing to repent. So if they turn from their ways, if they turn away from fusing um, sports with a particular type of activism, um, I think you'll see uh, fans come back and embrace the league. I think Monty Williams is a great story, an inspirational story, um, but he's just one man. If the league continues down the path that it's been on, and certainly the path that it took last year, uh, I think you'll see more fans stay away from the game because at the end of the day, um, working class fans of, of any background don't want to be lectured by pampered athletes about um, how oppressed the athletes are and how privileged the fans are. And maybe it's, I'm such a hardcore sports fan. The, the first sporting events I ever went to were Indiana Pacer games when they played in the old ABA. My dad used to take me and my brother to those games. That's where my passion for sports began. And I think maybe that's why I can't give up on the NBA because it was my first love being a Pacer fan. Mm-hmm. But, but also part of me just as a Christian believes there's something biblical going on here, something spiritual that in this desert of wokeism mm-hmm. and secularism, God has put Monty Williams right in the middle of this and he's leading this team, I believe, to a championship that, that to me, I don't want to miss that message. I think that sports still has the ability, the opportunity to, to, to be a positive force and a unifying force in America. Yeah, I agree. And, and we've seen all throughout history that sports can be a redemptive force, too. Right. You have whether sports personalities like um, George Foreman, who had a particular you know type of uh, upbringing and and certain things in his background as a young man who totally turned his image around um, through sports and and through some of the work he did later in his life. Um, As I said, I think I think Monty Williams is is a great story. I wish the media would cover him a little bit more, talk about his background. Um, some of the tragedies that he's gone through and and how his faith has lifted him through those tragedies. But I don't have any faith that the media, uh, no pun intended, I have no faith that the media will actually get those stories right because um, corporate media and honestly many of our elite institutions don't really know what to do with Christians who hold a a biblical 
worldview. If you say you're a Christian and that version of Christianity means that you volunteer soup kitchens and um, you read books to kids, all those things are great. But none of those things challenge the, the power or um, in many respects, the authority that corporate media and many of our institutions, particularly um, our, our elected officials and, and our governments tend to hold in society. So if Monty Williams were to go in a different direction, if he had an open forum and, and he delivered a, a message that went more, that went further than just um, general morality, the things that most people would agree on, if he de- delivered a message that said, you know, we are all sinners, um, and even though we're all created in the image of God, we've all fallen short of, of you know, his righteous commands, and the only way to uh, eternal life is through repentance and faith and belief in Jesus Christ. That's a very, very different message than saying, you know, I believe in God generally, I'm a spiritual person generally, and I try to do good things. Um, and I think if he went in the first direction, you would see uh, Monty Williams in many respects probably be treated like, like Tim Tebow in the media. I'm glad you referenced Tim Tebow because that's what I was thinking the entire time you were talking, is that Monty, I guess, is a low-key, more calculated, older. He's Mm got to be 10, 15 years older than Tim Tebow. Uh, And and so I I was literally, that was going to be my next question. If he were more overt, I guess, during games, the way Tim Tebow took a knee during the game. If Monty Williams is wearing a cross during the games, or I, I don't know, any part of his message on the sidelines was somewhat religious, I get, he would probably be a bit more polarizing. Absolutely. And, and this just goes to show the, the hypocrisy of many of the people who claim that sports should be a venue for activism. Right. I remember when Tim Tebow, I think it was him and his, his mother <laughs> took out a commercial for the Super Bowl that was a pro-life commercial. Right. They were clearly um, against abortion and, and they, they were featured in a commercial that said so. And he was roundly criticized for it. But some of the same people who criticized him celebrate Colin Kaepernick when he chose to use his platform um, on his team's dime, uh, on their time, in their uniform to promote particular causes that are important to him. But everyone should have, should have known, I certainly knew that if we were talking about NASCAR racers who were using the side of their cars to, as I said, promote pro-life causes or traditional marriage causes, um, the head honchos at ESPN would not be embracing it and, and saying how good it is that um, NASCAR drivers were using their platform, quote unquote, um, to, to engage in activism. So. The hypocrisy is there. Um, Monty may feel comfortable sharing his faith in particular ways, and I certainly, you know, wouldn't fault him for doing it in whatever way feels comfortable for him. But we even saw that last year in the bubble, when Jonathan Isaac, uh, a relatively unknown player, young player for the Magic, chose to stand for the national anthem, right? And and just just to show you again how quickly the the, the winds change direction. A couple years ago, none of the NBA players knelt for the anthem. Um, they, they said, you know, the NBA gives us freedom to engage in uh, social justice causes so we don't feel a, a need to kneel. Um, then a couple of incidents happened, and then all of them started kneeling for the anthem. And the people who were, you know, going in a different direction were the few who chose to stand. So um, I, I think 
even in those examples, you see a clear difference between men who stand on um, the word of God, which the Bible says doesn't change from yesterday, today or tomorrow, and the other men who basically are cultural weather vanes. So whatever the wind, whichever way the wind is blowing, that's the direction that they're going in. All right, Delano, you're a dad. And what advice would you give your son if he were in the NBA? Would you advise him to be more outspoken in his belief? Because and and, because what sets this question up, I was telling Jimmy uh, in the previous segment that, look, athletes talk about whatever the media wants them to talk about. And so if you want Monty Williams and all the athletes to talk about George Floyd, go ask him questions about George Floyd. But take a Chris, uh, a Stephen Curry or Monty Williams or even Chris Paul, who who's writing the gospel song. Can't give up now from Mary Mary on the side of his shoe. If the media went and probed them about mm-hmm. their faith, we would hear more about their faith. And so I, I'm just want. One, what advice would you give your son if he were in the NBA? And then two, who would you who do you blame more? Is it on the athletes to be more outspoken or do we blame the media for avoiding asking them obvious questions that should be asked and probed? Who, who's more at fault? So uh, I'll take the second question first. I think um, the media, in many respects, is at fault. Um, But part of it is honestly, as I said, they don't really know how to deal with people who express their faith in particular ways. Um, You know, maybe if an athlete had a book on Christianity, maybe if they were, you know, reading some book on, you know, Christian doctrine um, and they turn to page one the way LeBron James does with most of his books, maybe the media would ask him, hey, I see see you're reading uh, C.S. Lewis. uh, You know, I, I see you're reading you know, some book of theology or even reading the Bible. Can you tell us you know, what that book means to you and what you think? And, and hopefully the athletes would be able to, to you know, summon a response. Um, but but I, I, as I said, I do think part of it is that the athletes today, um, they see themselves as activists. They see themselves as part of the resistance, as speaking truth to power. But what they don't realize is that they say everything else that the elites in culture, in Hollywood, in media, um, so the, the people in politics, they're all saying the same thing. So in many respects, they're, they're not the resistance. Um, they are the norm. They are the standard. And it's really the few athletes who go in a different direction who are, who are really being revolutionary, quote unquote. So I, I think both parties share some blame. I think a lot of it is athletes really don't take the time to research some of these issues. They just take whatever talking points they hear. So they get out ahead of a story um, and, and they never come back to correct it when they've been proven wrong. But as I said, it's, there's comfort in the crowds. And even though these guys are obviously physical specimens who, who've dedicated their lives since, you know, um, since they were young men to plying their craft and, and, and honing their bodies and strengthening their minds, uh, when it comes down to it, they're just as impressionable as you know, the average American. And they'll just say whatever else everyone else is saying. Um, so, so I think, as I said, both parties bear some blame. But in many respects, I do think the media has the bigger issue understanding Christianity that goes more, that goes further than just, 
you know, basic moralism. Um, in terms of my son, what, what advice would I give him if he was in that position? I would always tell him to um, feel comfortable um, expressing his faith. And the irony is that in today's society, everybody is expressing a faith, right? For, so for many people, um, people like uh, Ibram Kendi has become a faith leader. He actually has said, um, racism is death and anti-racism is life, right? T- appropriating words that, that um, the scriptures use to talk about Jesus. So the people who embrace his worldview, him and, and some of the you know, other minor prophets, so to speak, who read all the sacred texts, whether it's how to be an anti-racist or, or uh, uh, white fragility, these people have a faith as well. So I don't think that Christians, whether it be my children or anyone else, should shy away from sharing their faith and, and engaging in the marketplace of ideas. Last question on Monty Williams. I want to get to your column, but to me, Monty Williams, the way he handled his wife's death, the way he's handled everything, he's a bold example of the power of forgiveness. And I, I just explained to Jimmy, like, if he engulfs himself in bitterness about what that driver did to his wife, it infects his kids and potentially limits their ability to continue to evolve and develop into logical, rational, motivated, happy, well-adjusted human beings. He wraps himself in the gospel and in Jesus and in forgiveness and allows not just himself to move on, but his kids as well. That's a powerful message that flies in the face to me of the Black Lives Matter movement and this cancel culture movement we have now where forgiveness is like completely out of style and not even an option. If someone says the wrong thing inadvertently, causes virtually no harm, Forgiveness isn't even on the table. That's the message I want people to take from Monty Williams, and I wish that people in the media that are at the NBA would talk to him about that. I think that's a great point. What you said um, just now reminded me of something I heard a pastor say many years ago, which is unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. And and you see that oftentimes when people (laughs) carry around, you know, when... When, when they carry around that, that bitterness and resentment, it, starts, it really starts to eat them from the inside out. And that's why anytime you see someone who has radical in front of whatever their particular politics are, right? Um, whether it's feminism or, or um, you know, racial equality, anyone who deems themselves a radical, it's rare to find one of those people who's actually content. Now they may talk about joy you know, when they're in a circle and they're dancing to songs and, and, you know, doing some other things, making a spectacle out of themselves. But um, true joy looks a, a lot different. And, and I think in Monty Williams, you see a man who's been through some extremely difficult times and whose faith has been tested in a way that few people's faith have, have been. Because it wasn't just that his wife was killed, his, his children were also in the car and they were injured too. And for him to get up um, and not just eulogize his wife, but offer forgiveness to the family of the driver. Um, it, it just shows, as you said, the power of forgiveness. And there's a stark contrast to um, our current activist class that thinks that every slight 
every every minor incident, every inf- every minor infraction, every quote unquote microaggression uh, must be paid for with a pound of flesh. And and that's why the the Christian message is is stands in such con- um, stark contrast to that. Because as a believer, I know I'm obligated to forgive because of how much God has forgiven me. Um, and I think, again, if he was able to articulate that message, if he chose to in whatever venue he chose, um, that would be a very, very powerful message in a culture where people are, are looking for something to latch on to, looking for something to give them meaning. And I think the fact that so many people have not found that thing um, is why you see so many people, you know, rack with fear and anxiety and bitterness and resentment. Um, and I th- and I would love to hear Monty say, you know, that thing that you're looking for, um, that thing that you're looking to worship, y- you can find that in a relationship with Jesus Christ. All right, I want to transition with one of the brightest minds I think we have going in America, Delano Squires. I hope you guys are reading the stuff. He wrote a terrific column for us today that can be found on theblaze.com. And it explores, and again, he's coming in on a Friday after we've covered the Maria Taylor, Rachel Nichols uh, controversy all week. He comes in on a Friday and has an awesome take on what's going on with Maria Taylor and Rachel Nichols. And he ta- he connects it to identity politics. I'm going to quote from the article, which basically, you know, says that Joe Biden actually kind of set the example and set the stage for what's going on with all the controversy and the backbiting, the, the racial tug of war between Rachel Nichols and Maria Taylor. But here's a quote from uh, the column. Identity politics rule and divide America. No one should be surprised that the worldwide leader in sports suffers from the same obsession as the White House, academia, Hollywood, our military, and seemingly every other American institution. Delano, mm-hmm. for first for our viewers and listeners, explain the Joe Biden analogy that you started the column with. Sure. So, um, Last year, when when Joe Biden was was a candidate, right, and was the presumptive nominee for the Democratic Party, um, he went from saying that, from committing to choosing a woman to be his vice president, um, to run alongside him, to to committing to a black woman to be his vice president. And that really came after um, a number of black women took out, uh, wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post and really stepped up their pressure campaign on Joe Biden and saying he needed to select a black woman because black women are the most um, loyal part of the Democratic um, base. And, and that very well may be true. I don't dispute that claim. Uh, but what he did is he set into motion uh, something that we're seeing, as you said, play out with the, the Rachel Nichols and Maria Taylor situation, which is to elevate immutable characteristics, skin color and sex, above every other qualification in the you know selection of a particular person to fill a particular role, and whenever you do that, it is bound to create um, difficulty and oftentimes conflict and resentment with the people who feel that they should be at least considered, but who don't have the immutable characteristics that you're looking for. And, and my whole point is that Joe Biden could have could have and probably should have just said, "I'm committed to selecting the most qualified person possible for the role." And every time the media pressed him on it, he should have repeated it. I'm committed to selecting the most qualified person for the role. And he still could have picked Kamala Harris. Um, I'm I'm not disputing that she was qualified to be vice president. Um, My issue is that by saying the most important qualifications 
and you know they're most important because it was the it, they were the ones that he led with. He never said, "I'm looking for a person with a particular uh, political ideology who has a particular view on foreign policy who can help deliver me a particular state or region." He just said, "She just needs to be black and she needs to be female." Um, and when you do that, you do two things. As I said, you you create an environment for resentment um, among other people, and oftentimes more importantly is you attach a stigma to the person that you've selected. Because now wherever they go, the people will say, you only got that job because you fit X characteristic. And, and I think it's unfair for the people who may otherwise uh, be qualified to have that stigma follow them around for, for the rest of their career. As I was listening to you talk, I, 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 I was thinking about the deal he basically cut with the black activists that basically said, no, you have to select a black woman. We're your most loyal base for the Democratic Party. And to me, the thing that's not being stated is that, and we're gonna have to do the dirty work come November 3rd in order to get you elected. Stacey Abrams and uh, the, the justification for absentee ballots because of COVID. And, and, and I know you get in trouble for, for this over there, but if we had to do anything Mickey Mouse late at night uh, to make sure that the, the votes are counted properly, you know who's gonna do that? Black women. And so you owe us, you have to give us, that to me is what the deal was cut. And, and, and I'm only asking you this, Delano, cause I, I don't, there, look, the Blaze has an audience that's highly political. And, and, and gets it, and, and it's, the Blazes audience is predominantly white. The, the part of the point of this show is to expand the audience. And so I'm gonna ask you an elementary question, just because mm -hmm. I think for a lot of viewers and a lot of my audience, they need to understand exactly what identity politics are and why they're dangerous. Would you please explain? Sure. Um, so, so in this context, I would define identity politics as the elevation of particular characteristics, characteristics that people can't change. Um, their skin color, um, their sex, you know, their, their physical features, um, and elevating those characteristics and making them both the most important things about a particular person and assuming that people will have um, certain beliefs behaviors, values, voting patterns based on those characteristics. That's how I would define identity politics. So it's the assumption that just because you're a black woman that you should um, be you know, liberal or leftist or progressive and you should think about uh, certain issues in a particular way um, and then you should vote in a particular way. And the same goes with other groups. So you see this oftentimes, um, you know, even after the election, uh, the New York Times ran a story about um, Hispanic men and how many of them broke in greater numbers for um, uh, Donald Trump than they did in previous elections. And they seem to be perplexed by that because they, they just assume that because a person has a Spanish surname, a, a Spanish last name, that they should automatically vote for the Democratic Party. And that's, that's because they've bought into the myth of identity politics. Identity politics treats people as um, primarily as members of particular groups rather than as individuals. I wanna circle back a little bit to Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. 
because I, I just think it's important. And I'm going to throw a bit of a curveball. A reporter for the Washington Post reached out to me this week. Uh, he's working on a story on Tucker Carlson. And uh, he was told that, hey, you know, Jason Whitlock's a, a black guy that would be willing to talk about Tucker Carlson. And, and I'm sure they assume I'd be willing to defend Tucker Carlson because I actually like Tucker Carlson. I like his show. Uh, I certainly like his monologues that he opens the show with. I think everybody should watch his opening monologues. He's talking about some of the most important stuff going on in America. Uh, I think that the left, uh, stream media, the CNN and MSNBC and all the, they've defined him as racist and dangerous. And, and mostly what I've been able to glean from him is like, man, this dude will tell the truth and he don't care how it lands. And mm -hmm. one of the things he's been doing, this is how it relates to Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, he's really hard on Kamala Harris. I mean, he's battering Kamala Harris when he gets, he did a whole show, I think, either early this week or late last week. The entire show was just battering Kamala Harris. And, and, what, and so I'm sure, and I didn't return this Washington Post uh, writer's uh, phone call because I don't trust the Washington Post. I've been mischaracterized, uh, smeared by the Washington Post, obvious distortions, lies written about me in the Washington Post. So I, I, I'll be willing to maybe do an email interview with him so I have a written transcript of what I say, but I didn't respond to the guy's phone call because I know they want to write a story, Tucker Carlson's racist. And, and how it connects to this is like, Joe Biden put her in the crosshairs for people to say she's unqualified by his statements of, I'm just going to hire a black woman. And again, just like you said, if he had come out and said, I'm going to hire the best person and then chose Kamala Harris. Hey, that's that's you can question his judgment and his evaluation, but you can't question his motive. And so to me, Joe Biden and the way he went about it and the way identity politics works and the way the left works, they put black people in the crosshairs so that their qualifications can be publicly questioned. Joe Biden fired the first shot at Kamala Harris. Hell, they fired shots at each other. She called him racist during the <laughs> debate. Uh, and so Everybody wants to be upset with Tucker Carlson. Nobody wants to hold Joe Biden accountable for the shit he did. I don't know if that's and a question, but that's, that's <laughs> please respond. <laughs> uh, and and, and in, in that same se uh, sense, I think this ties back to the ESPN story, right? Which is um, the suits at ESPN put Rachel Nichols in a, in a difficult position, right? Is, and, and Rachel Nichols even said, you know, Maria Taylor is more than qualified. And I think... Everyone says, you know, she's great behind the camera. She asks probing questions. She's she's not afraid to, you know, particularly ask questions of, of high profile players and coaches. But when ESPN, like many elite institutions, is constantly saying um, we need to hire more people of color, more women, and, and they beat that drum over and over again, it makes sense that a person who feels that or believes that they have a contractual obligation to have a particular assignment sees that assignment be taken away from them and merely questions or asserts that part of it is that the 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 network is trying to improve their record on diversity and i think for in in the same respect you know the president 
um, even though the Democratic Party touts itself as a, as a party of diversity. And they said, you know, last year we had the most diverse uh, uh, field of candidates um, in history. They probably felt guilty because at the end of the day, they still chose the, 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 a person who fits all of the, the identity boxes that they say are most evil in society, an old, white, straight male. So they, f- they probably felt guilty. And because of that, he probably felt extra pressure to pick someone who was the complete opposite again of him. Um, but as you said, it, it, it puts her in a difficult position and it makes people question her qualifications. Um, and, and to be honest, I, I don't have any problem with people questioning the quali- qualifications of any politician or elected official because at the end of the day, um, our government shouldn't just be a jobs program for mediocre people. It should be about you know, our elected officials representing the interests of their constituents. But when you make her race and sex the most important things about her, um, then you, you ultimately end up inviting those, uh, those questions and that criticism. Am I wrong for saying Kamala's only 30% the opposite of Joe Biden? Am I wrong for that? <laughs> wow. I'm just asking. Don't answer it's just a that, question. Dude. Don't answer that. <laughs> it's just a question. All right, let me, let, we'll end on this. Mm-hmm. Who's the, because I couldn't, reading your column, oh, there's two, I don't want to end on, I, I got two deals. Mm-hmm. The, the, the end of your column I thought was brilliant. Uh, you referenced, and, and this is what I love about you, Delano, everything I want to be, you actually embody and live that life. And so I, <laughs> you're good looking, you're married, successful. Yeah. As a father, these are his, some of his closing words. As a father, the lesson here is clear. He's talking about Maria Taylor, Rachel Nichols. If I treat all of my children poorly, they will grow up to resent me. If I treat one better than the others, they will grow up to resent each other. America is rife with resentment. We're being played here. We're being made to resent each other. And I just loved you speaking to that as a father. The analogy just really hit home for me. Yeah, and, and that's, that's something that I, I think about often, right? Because we're a large country of people from different backgrounds, different religions, different ethnic backgrounds, different nationalities. And when our leaders, um, whether in the culture or in politics, start to play favorites based on, again, color, um, gender, people are, are going to take offense. There's, there's no other way around it. Now, they will justify it by saying, well, we're trying to correct for um, injustices of the past. And, and I understand that argument, but it's a, it's a weak argument because why should I, um, whether I'm a, I'm a white man or, or an Asian woman, why should I have to pay for the sins of, of someone else? And, and again, this, this really ties really back into to what we were talking about in terms of, of Christianity and faith. Um, it feels good to know that that my own sins have been paid for, right, by by Jesus. And even better to know that I don't have to carry the sins of someone else, even whether it's my dad, my grandfather, my great great grandfather, or someone who just happens to look like me. But right now we live in a we live in a place in our culture where people say, well, you look like somebody who uh, owned slaves back in 1745. So because of that, 
you shouldn't get consider consideration for a particular job because we need, you know, the, the only way to, to counter past discrimination is to engage in present discrimination. That's um, that's the sort of Kendian religion, right? That's Ibram Kendi's religion. Uh, that's that's what anti-racism means to him. But to me, that's a totally wrong way to approach it. If people really believe in equity, right? And, and I'm right here. I'm using a biblical definition and a dictionary definition. Um, then they should seek to apply the same standards of performance and evaluation to all people, regardless of their background. And and for me, particularly as a as a as a black man, this strikes me because. I don't want to be judged on uh, uh, using a lesser standard than any of my white counterparts. Um, to do that doesn't doesn't make me feel good. It doesn't. I don't feel like I'm winning. I don't feel like I'm getting payback. What it feels like is a loss of dignity, and I refuse to let anyone judge me or my children by um, any standard that's lower than they would use for anyone else. So I think if we're to hold this union together, um, we need uh, leaders in every area of society to say. We're going to treat people as individuals. We may acknowledge things that may have happened to their group in times past, but the only way to move forward um, is to treat everyone and and apply the same standards of of performance um, and and evaluation to everyone. We'll end on this note. As a dad, if Maria Taylor and Rachel Nichols were your daughters, how would you bring them into a, res- a room and resolve this? That's a great question. I think if, if, if I was in that position, I'd probably start by apologizing to them for treating one better than the other. That's, that's probably where I would go first. And I would say from here on out, um, I understand that you all may have some differences, but, but we're a family, right? And, and this, is, this is how you know, my wife and I you know, deal with our own kids, is that in the Squires family, we love each other. Um, we may have disagreements. We we may, you know, our, our kids are young. We have little, so, you know, they they get into little, you know, toddler fights. But at the end of the day, it's all about um, preserving the unity of of our family. And if ESPN wants to uh, promote itself as a, as a family, then the people who um, are responsible for the organization have to say, we know we put both of you women in a tough situation. Um, so we commit to doing better moving forward. And, and again, for, both of them have, have um, a beef here. I think the, the onus is on ESPN to, to mend that conflict. And, and that assumes it can be mended. What it seems like is if um, Maria Taylor doesn't want anything to do with Rachel Nichols, she doesn't even want her to be on the same shows and doesn't want any live interaction. So it may be that that um, relationship can't be mended um, I hope it can, and and part of it is because I hope she does not take on some of the worst characteristics of her peers, where they take what, again, is a, is a mild. It's not even a criticism of her; it's more criticism of their employer, and she spins it into something um, that that she allows other people or that she says is evidence that that she is oppressed or is facing some sort of injustice. Um, you know, I'm 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 not that much older than Maria Taylor, but you know, my mind is you know I'm I'm old school. I prefer my aggressions of the macro variety, not the micro. So when people just say something, you know, in passing, that's not something that I feel I need to fall apart for and need, you know, 15 weeks of therapy to to address. You know, we can come together, we resolve it. Someone's apologize. Let's let's mend the relationship and let's move on.
because there, there are many things that we want to get accomplished. Again, I'm looking from her perspective, and and I think um, preserving that relationship uh, is is one of them. Thank you, Delano. We'll see you next Thank week. You, All right, I'm going to have a different conversation with you, Uncle Jimmy. Oh, my goodness. I, I got to be honest with you. Looking at that picture of Maria Taylor and Rachel Nichols, I would like to bring both of these ladies into my home, adopt them, and see if I can do something to, you know, bring these two ladies together. I think if somehow I think I could bring them together in a way, uh, I would love to have them in my home, Jim, is what I guess is what I'm saying. Um, I bet you would. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I, I, I bet you would. Um, you would like to... And Mend actually, those fences. I mean, well, I, I think you would. Uh, I, if, if you're just going to go that route, I, I would like to... I'd like to try to help these young ladies if I could. I mean... I don't know how very serious. magnanimous of you, Jim. Well, I, I no, I'm 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 all man. I, I'm, I only go one way. I don't do all that. Now. Magnanimous, Jim. I don't like. I don't do mans. I just go one way. Ma- we'll we'll go over the word magnanimous oh, after the show. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, to me, I, I seriously would like to, if I could help, uh, apply any of my age and wisdom. You know, I, I think what the what, what these girls could use is actually that they, they need some religion. They, 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 they need some spirituality. Can't, maybe they have it, Jim. People no, interpret no, it differently. Listen to me now. Because what I think, they, they, need some, they need some of the Old Testament. They, they need somebody to lay hands on them. They need to understand to speak in the tongues. <laughs> the laying of hands. You understand? They need to ner- learn the meaning of the term buck naked booty blessings. <laughs> in the name of Jesus. We got to keep it moving before we get in trouble. All right, go to that YouTube page, youtube.com slash fearless with Jason Whitlock. Hit that subscribe button. Hit that notifications button. All right, when we come back, we're going to flip the bird and talk about Wendy Williams. Welcome back to the show. I am Jason Whitlock. We're still rolling on. It's time now for Uncle Jimmy to help us in the game of Flip the Bird. Flip the Bird, baby. What do you got, Jimmy? We're gonna, you got something on social media that's cracking? Man, listen, yeah. you, you know, let me just put it like this. Hey, man, the Twitter streets is, is out there getting busy. <laughs> Twitter streets is getting busy, man. I think they might have they claimed another victim. All right, what do you got? I think they got somebody in the NBA. <laughs> got somebody, now, look at you know, we got the NBA finals going on, yeah. okay? And anyway, well, our boy James Harden, you, 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 you're, you're familiar with James the Beard yeah, Harden. Bearded, the yeah, yeah. Beard, yeah. James the Beard Harden, evidently he was just in Paris. He was there for a, I guess they was having their annual Kardashian auction. <laughs> oh, they were auctioning off Kardashian. I guess they were trying to get the new edition, the new model. I don't know. But anyway. They had a fashion show. Wasn't yeah, well, whatever it was, it was, what, hey, he was there with the baby. The who? He was there with it. He was there with the rapper the baby. I think his name is Little Baby. He was there with a ba- he was there with the rapper the baby. The baby. He, I thought it was Little Baby. Okay, but look, look, here's the point. Here's, okay. here's what, anyway, he was there with the rapper the baby. Yeah. He wasn't there with LeBron James. He wasn't there with Stephen Curry. You know, with, with NBA friends. He yeah. went with a little young rapper named 
the baby. Yeah. I don't know what he thought was going to happen. Anyway, long, long story short, uh, he was arrested. And evidently, somehow or another... Not James Harden. I think Little Baby was... Little, but the, the, James Harden's name was wrapped up in it, Jason. That's my whole point. And, and, but but I, I thought his little tweet was interesting. He said, we made men. Mm. Mm, you a made man. He's Hanging out with a baby, but you a made man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I get your point. And this reminds me, on a, like a serious note, me and my father used to, when I was young... And, and James Harden's now 30. I'm talking James this. Harden ain't nobody's baby. Yeah, I agree. He's too old, man. He's, Come on, I'm He's sorry. too old. He's got to be in his early 30s at this point. Me and my father in my 20s used to argue about my old friends from high school and my old friends from the neighborhood or whatever. Once he told you wasn't going to end up being shit. But. Yeah, yeah. And, and I can remember one, what broke me of the habit is uh, I'm riding with a friend. He has me stop. At a dope house. <laughs> I, what, what could go wrong? Yeah, he didn't tell me it was a dope house, but when we pulled up, hey, I gotta make a stop here. You just, the smoke coming out the windows wasn't a dead giveaway. <laughs> gotta make a stop here. And so I figured, I was like, we stopping at the dope house. He gets back in my car, and I'm just like, he got dope. And I gotta drive all the way back across town. Now you sweating like a hoe in church. <laughs> we like 20, 21 years old. And I'm like, and so this, he doesn't know it. I'm never, I would never say his name. He's still a friend of mine and he's mature and he's onto a, a different aspect of life. But that was the last time we were ever been in a car together. And that had to be 30 years ago. And so, yeah, that's a lesson James Harden needs to learn is, you know, be careful who you keep in your circle and who you travel to Paris with. Didn't Jay-Z and Kanye go to Paris and do some song? They, they, they had some little song about that. Um, what was it? Ball so hard. G -G oh, ball yeah. so hard. Yeah, ball, ball so, so hard. hard. Or something. Yeah, I don't know what that it. was. All right. Real quick, can I jump Two on Two rappers more? in Paris, I think is what they called it. But go, <laughs> go ahead. You got something else? It's Two thugs, one mug. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, can, can we try one more yeah, real quick? Go ahead. Flip now, this one mug. here, this one. I, I, I have mixed emotions about this one. Wendy Williams. Wendy, the talk show host. Wendy Witt. Yeah. The, the great Wendy Williams, the, the tall, talk show host. The tall talk show host. Tall, tall, you, you, you know, I mean, you know who I'm talking about. It looked like she got long fingernails, but it's really her long ass fingers. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I know who you're talking okay, about. Okay, Wendy Williams with, with two her. cans. Uh, yeah, she yeah, got yeah. two cans too. <laughs> <laughs> now that's a two can slam for your ass. <laughs> Go ahead. Wendy Williams, in case you haven't noticed, man, the, 20, the Twitter streets is coming after Wendy now. Uh -oh. well, evidently, Wendy did a little segment, um, and evidently, I don't even know what the segment was about. Can we see the segment? Or, or here's the tweet. Oh, go. Ahead. Let's see the segment. Let's see the segment. Do we have it? She's talking about some TikTok star, I think. I have no idea who this is. Neither does Norman. Neither does one person in this building. Maybe Sus does. Uh, do you know who <laughs> Swavy is? Clap. Swayze. Clap if you know who Swayze is. Okay. Oh, here he is. Jim, look like she might need some armor all. He's 19, <laughs> and he was murdered Monday morning. Hmm. So she's catching a lot of heat for the way she introduced. That's not why she's catching the heat. Why? Oh. She's catching heat because 
not because he died. She's catching heat because if you go on to listen to it, one of the comments she makes is he has two million followers. On TikTok. On TikTok. Excuse me. He ain't he, he, a TikTok. That's who this guy is. He's a TikTok. He's a TikToker. Yeah. I have a 15 year old son. I had to ask him, yo, man, who is this? He said, oh, yeah, dad, it's terrible. He was killed. He was shot. I said, how did he die? He said, he was shot. I said, how, I said, where did he get shot at? He said, in the chest. Not where the hell did he get shot at? What state? What happened? Did it happen in? And I shouldn't be giggling. I'm sorry. The, Go ahead. The, the point, what I thought was interesting about it was my son's 15. My son said it was horrible and said it was savvy. And I'm like, okay. So then I'm like, well, she said it wrong. Swayze, I think. Yeah, but to come to find out, so this is your boy that you heard about, but you don't even know what his name is. And what, 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 what Wendy was saying, I'm just telling you, here's the thing Wendy said. Wendy said, oh, uh, what about those two million followers? And whoever this dude is on Twitter, Trey Smith. Now listen to this, Jason. This is what I want to ask you about. Here's the tweet. I don't know what I thought was going to happen, but so far, I don't know what I thought was going to happen. So, but what I know is Wendy Williams ain't going to make it into the gates of hell. To gates, gates of heaven. heaven. <laughs> but bottom line, she don't stand a chance of seeing the gates of heaven because evidently what she said about this little TikTok boy. That's my question. What do you think about that? Well, what I'm going to say is, and I'm going to make a very serious point. Things are so violent in our community. And what happened to this TikTok guy, Swayze or Swavy or whatever, Swayze, Swavy, he's a TikTok dancer. But what happened to him is so commonplace and so uh, little attention or focus on it that Wendy Williams and to some degree Jason Whitlock were almost giggling. And we are giggling like here's some guy we don't know who uh, was murdered in the streets. And this is so commonplace, we've almost been programmed not to take it seriously. And, and the people over Twitter that are going after her are a big part of the reason why we're not taking it seriously. Because we've all been programmed, unless the shooter is white. There you go. That's what I was trying to see if he was coming It's to. not important. And so people over Twitter are all upset what if with the shooter was white? With Wendy, if, with Wendy Williams. What if it was a cop? Well, trust me. It, it, people are all upset with Wendy Williams for not taking it seriously, and they don't even understand. They don't take this seriously. Everybody, oh, my God, the TikToker is there. It, it, it's, it's not an outrage about, wow, there's so much violence in our streets and in our community that unless he's a TikToker, with two million followers, it's not even newsworthy. And so the justification for talking about it, oh, he's got two million TikTok followers, therefore he's important, so let's talk about it and be outraged. But this goes on every day with people with no TikTok following, no social media imprint, and, and no one to talk or, or be outraged about it. And so I... I I can't say that Wendy Williams handled it perfectly, but I get it because I'm sitting, I don't know how to process what happened to this young dude. 
I, I don't does being a TikToker with two million followers for someone my age and Wendy Williams is probably around my age, if not older. She doesn't even know how to process like who is this guy and does having two million TikTok followers make him important? And, and, and then as Christians, I'm not saying Wendy is, but but all life has equal value. But we've been trained by Black Lives Matters and social media that no, 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 all lives do not have equal value. Black lives matters and black lives only matter when taken by a white person. Jason, I, I want to add, you know what this reminds me of? And I, and I remember when you said this and I, I feared for your safety when you did. And it was when the rapper Nipsey Hussle was killed. You dared come out and say, I don't know who he is. And you would have thought that you came out and said you didn't know Jesus. You were blasphemized about that bad. Remember how how are you how are you gonna be a black man and not know Nipsey Hussle? I know Nipsey Russell. Wasn't that the comedian? That was the dude who played in the Wiz. Yeah, <laughs> I think I think of Nipsey Russell. I thought was his name. And look, I had heard of Nipsey Hussle, but I didn't know his music. And I think the media overplayed and made Nipsey Hussle come across like, oh, well, he's Tupac Shakur. He's as famous as Tupac. He's, a, he's, another, he's another drug dealer that has overcome the odds. And you, too, can sell drugs and overcome the odds. That does seem to be the message, that you can use drugs and end death if killed by the right person, white person, you can get statues built. Or if you're a former drug dealer who raps about drug dealing and get killed by anybody, you too can become famous and have Farrakhan and everybody else come and do your eulogy and you can be elevated. There is a lane and this is what, and, and I know people will be upset and I, I saw some young people uh, tweeting out like, oh man, LA don't even feel the same without Nipsey Hussle. This is somebody we work with. <laughs> I remember when he tweeted that. I'm a, look, I love Jay Hussle. I, I love Jay Hussle. I already knew who you was and, talking and about. Mark, 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 I love my guy, man. Yeah, and I, so do I. And so I'm not bad, but, but it was just like, these young kids, man, are so caught up in whatever's happening on social media. Mark was acting like, oh my God, it just don't feel the same in LA without Nipsey Hussle. And I'm like, had you met him? Had y'all been going to dinner and clubs together? I mean, <laughs> how does L.A. feel any different? And so there's just like this marketing deal going on for black men. If you die violently and have the right criminal background and rap career, we'll celebrate you. If the right white person kills you, we'll celebrate you. Uh, but, but yes, George Floyd's importance to America has been grossly exaggerated. Nipsey Hussle's traction and relevance in America, grossly overrated. You ask anybody, uh, name a song. Sing one song of his. And, you know, he got a song called Last Time I Checked. Pretty good. It's a pretty good song. Pretty good gangster rap song. But nobody knows his body of work. This wasn't Tupac. This wasn't Biggie. This is an L.A. gang member who rapped. An intelligent brother. 
I've heard him speak, and he's an intelligent brother. In other words, relatively in other, in, speaking, relatively now. speaking, he ain't Cornell West. He's not a Cornell. He ain't Thomas Sowell. <laughs> let me just say this. Can I say it? And it, let me say this, Jason. And, and right. this is in defense of young people that because sometimes when you talk bad about just because you don't understand him, just because we don't understand, him, don't mean the people didn't believe in him. The thing I found out about this little swavy guy from my son, I because I said, well, did you ever hear him speak? And he's like, well, no. I'm like, what did he do? He said he did dances on TikTok. I said, what? But then I said, well, what did he do? Did he? But he said, well, he would always like post something positive for the kids. He would always tell the kids, try to do better. He would always tell the kids that you could, you know, he, he actually was a positive little influence. Gotcha. So therefore, even though we don't understand TikTok, and though we are not on TikTok, 24 to 20 million kids yeah, are now it's, lost. It's an invention of China. The one picture I saw of him when I was doing some homework this morning, he had some T-shirt on talking about trap. He was a trap house something, legend or something. It has something to do about the trap house. And the trap house is a drug house. And everybody, and so I, <laughs> his positive message is late. That, that is a positive message. Most people die in the drug house, if you in a trap house. If you can make it out of a trap house in the inner city, you are a legend. I, there's some truth in there's that. There's some I truth guess. to that. There's I'm sorry for joking that. about that. All right, we, 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 <laughs> all right, let's keep it moving. Let's go, man. I'm let's sorry. go to the approval rating. Uh, for Monty Williams, and for those of you that's your first time tuning in, you haven't seen the approval rating, we grade whoever our topic of the day. We started the show talking about Monty Williams, the coach of the Phoenix Suns, and his great uh, Christian platform that he is mm-hmm. espouses from and leads from. Uh, we grade every person on, in four categories, job performance, character, authenticity, and it factor. We score all four categories on a scale of 0 to 25. We add the scores up, the four scores up, and that tells you their approval rating. Uh, I have a feeling this will be, we'll have some agreement here on Monty Williams. Uh, He's in the NBA Finals. He's two games away from winning uh, his first NBA title as a head coach and taking Phoenix to their first NBA title ever. Uh, I have him at a job performance of 24. Uh, How many games do they have left? They have two games left, Jim. Two games left? They got to win. Two games they must win. I put him at a job performance level of 23. Two more, and he'll be at a 25. Mm, all right. Uh, in terms of character, mm. and this is where we tend to disagree, uh, I can't think, as, I, as we played at the top of the show, his speech, his eulogy for his wife. I can't think of a man with higher character other than the man upstairs. But for grading him on a worldly stat, uh, standard, I got to give him a perfect score of 25 as it relates to character. Uh, if there was ever a brother, uh, there, there, there's no character. I give him a zero. He's not a character. That's a real man. That's a man, Buddha. I can't. Like, re- he's not a character. That's a man. We're gonna spend an entire show trying to. Our That's a man. Episode. Let me tell you what it is. That's a man with character. But he ain't no character. That's what we're judging. Char- no, anyway. it does not say are we judging him with character. <laughs> we said is he a character? <laughs> no, it's a real man right there, Buddha. All right. Authenticity. I give him a perfect score as it relates to authenticity. He has kept it real throughout his public life. Uh, I, I just, I, I love Monty Williams. 25, authenticity. 
uh, I believe that uh, you, you can become no more authenticized than what uh, Brother Williams is, and I, too, give him a 25. Oh, wow. Good for yes, you. Sir. All right. And then we, last but not least, it factor. Uh, you know, does he got that Hollywood charisma of, I say he's kind of humble and kind of reserved and laid back. So I think he does have a it factor, but is it off the charts? I would say no. I'll give him a 20 as it relates to it factor. You know what? Whatever the hell it is, he's got it. All that humble, reserve, all of that, that's it. That's what we need. He got a 25. Mm. All right, so I have him at a grand score of 94, mm. blazing hot. He's our highest rated uh, approval rating in, our, in week one of the show and may keep that title for a long time. Uh, Jim, you've got him at a grease fire, 73, because... I still need to explain to you what we're doing with character, but... Uh, uh, but a grease fire is fine. He can stay a grease fire. He'll win this championship. Y'all call him a grease fire, and he gonna go ahead on and live his wonderful life. See, that's his problem. He don't. That, that other part don't matter to him. All right, well, that's it, and that's all for us today. There you go. You got it, Monty Williams. Let's make it back Monday. Salute. I wanna be, I just...